Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts, Drew Madden and Josh Fink, as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. I've seen The Sopranos a couple of times now. I've I've studied a lot of the episodes. I'm into screenwriting. I've read a lot of the scripts too. Um, Josh, you have never seen an episode until this pilot. Is that right? That's correct. I've heard about the show. It hasn't been... Uh, I haven't been avoiding it by any means. Just one of those things. I feel feel like everyone has that one TV show or movie they haven't seen, but everybody else has. And uh, it seems like The Sopranos is mine. So um, excited to do this podcast and wanting to watch it. And now I have a reason to. And somehow you've you don't you don't know anything about it, right? Or what did you know before going into this? I really only knew. Uh, I'm really bad at actor names and everything but i knew tony soprano i knew the face and i know it's a mafia show but uh (laughs) other than that you know that's that's basically what i what i know and then uh and then drew i mean we we chatted about this before too but how much had you seen before watching the pilot this last week i watched five seasons and somehow there's six seasons right there's six. The last one was divided into two, so it's two separate years. So we'll consider it seven. But yeah, it's pretty much you waited until the last one and stuff. Yeah, like no, I, yeah, I think I've watched five seasons and somehow managed not to uh, not to finish it. Um, something I actually didn't like it. No, you know something that's kind of funny is uh, the first time I watched it was when I dislocated my shoulder the first time and uh, <laughs> had some extra time. <laughs> and uh you know just watched binge watched it and, and you just uh, had shoulder surgery and i just had shoulder time. surgery so now <laughs> it's time to finish it so that was five years ago and and uh and now i'll get to finish the sopranos and this will be spoiler free at least for all subsequent episodes but do you know how it ends don't say it if you do of course I have uh, I have the memory of a of a goldfish, so even the stuff that I've seen, I, I don't think I can totally remember. Um, <laughs> I know the ending is controversial, so that's all I'll say. Okay, and then Josh, I, you said you didn't know anything about the ending, right? I had no reason to read a spoiler review or a, or a deep dive into The Sopranos because that doesn't interest me if I haven't seen the show, and uh, it seems like most of my friends uh, never really talked about it uh, growing up or even in college. So I've just been kind of living in a bubble and uh, I'm curious to see how controversial it is. Cause after talking with you, Jared and drew, it just seems like nobody has the same opinion. So I'm, I'm uh, curious to see what happens, but we're a long way away from that. And I'm excited to start the journey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it was on NPR. They were talking about this club of people. I'm very cultured. So I listen to NPR. Um, (laughs) <laughs> about uh the this group of people who try to make it as long as possible without learning who won the super bowl that year yeah. so it was like they you just opt into this group and it's all in the honor system and you have to like avoid water cooler talk at work um 
you know, you can't watch any news really, or pick up the paper. You have to watch like, <laughs> like read a, a country's news that doesn't follow American football at all or something. But that, I mean, I feel like you guys could start that club because I think everyone else in the world probably knows about it. <laughs> and yeah, it's just was, like referenced throughout pop culture everywhere. My fiance and I had started watching The Bachelor during quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it was right before. And we would record it and watch it the next day. So we didn't have to sit through the hour of commercials. And even just sitting by one day, like going on the internet the next day was almost impossible not to see some blog written about it or, or some news post about what happened in The Bachelor, the the episode before. So uh, I don't even know how they would do that with the Super Bowl because literally all press coverage the next day is basically about <laughs> the big game. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, The Sopranos is not quite to that extent, but maybe it, it serves itself because it came out in... 99 you know ran the early 2000s before that kind of the binge culture and the follow-up show culture and all that all that happened but awesome so i'll I'll go into just the background of why we came up with this uh it started a couple months ago i started thinking about this we passed the 20-year anniversary of the sopranos first airing i think last year it's 2019 um and the ringer which is obviously a pop culture website um talk about sports and things like that they ran a poll about the best tv characters of the century so i mean i know the three of us have talked about this tony soprano made it to the elite eight in that and then he lost to walter white which i thought that was just i thought it was insane i i couldn't believe it too but you did you guys both watch breaking bad i did it yes and it was a great show and i could see as somebody who didn't watch the sopranos i would have you know, knowing nothing about it, I would have voted for Walter White over Tony Soprano just based on the lack of information. Yeah, I watched uh, Breaking Bad and I, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> I, I was blown away that it was I I love Breaking Bad and I love Walter White, but he's just, in my opinion, a, de- a descendant of Tony Soprano and, and everything and everything Tony stood for, too. So. I, I think Tony's the best anti-hero of all time, but part of this podcast is going to be to try to figure out, am I biased? Is it a generational bias? Is he still the best, especially with all, all the good TV out there? So I started thinking about it there. Um, and then secondly, I saw, I'm not sure if I told you guys about this, but I saw a comment on Facebook from a millennial. She'll go unnamed right now, but she said, finally going to start watching The Sopranos. And then someone, one of her friends commented on that. It was really only average compared to all the quality TV out there, which I thought was just absurd. I was just like my my blood boiled for it. It was like the same kind of anger when I try to like read an anti-vaxxers uh, blog post or something where I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. You have nothing to support it. You know, you're clearly missing something here too. So those two, those two events got me thinking about this. And I want to talk about that with you guys. Like, is Sopranos still the best show of all time? Should it still be considered that with all the, the good TV out there? Is Tony Soprano the greatest anti-hero of all time? And then is it generational? Like if you were watching the Sopranos live on TV, are you always going to be biased to them? Like, like you'd be biased to the Beatles or something if you saw them live or something like that. Um, but that, that was the idea. I think it's a good time, especially while we're in quarantine too, to, to kind of start vetting through this. So Let's go into the background a little bit of The Sopranos and just how popular it was on TV. Uh, so I was nine when it first aired. 
Josh, do you remember when it was on the air or anything, or you just pretty much didn't know anything about it? I remember when it was on the air. Um, my family had the the single channel of HBO growing up, and so uh, I don't think my parents watched it, but I remember it would. I'd see the commercials watching HBO, being like Sunday at nine o'clock or, yeah. or whatever time it aired. You know, <laughs> followed by Sex and the City or whatever. <laughs> Everyone just watched the two of them, right? And then I also remember, you know, riding the bus to school or uh, just hearing on the talk morning shows they would have did you see what happened on the sopranos last night and that was <laughs> seemed like that would go on for like 10 years so i knew it was you just put your walkman headphones in it's like i'm not <laughs> listening to that <laughs> exactly and and so i knew it was going on for a long time but uh just never was exposed to it drew do you remember at all when it was on the air no n- not at all <laughs> I, uh, I think you know i didn't have tv until uh we were like 12 or 13. So I was still like, I remember hearing about it, but, um, at that point, if I wanted TV, it was, it was going to my grandma's house and like putting in a VHS and hitting record, you know? So really, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'd always like hit record and then stop record during the commercials and then forget to hit record again, you know, (laughs) and then just cry or be really bummed. Um, Oh, it's really sad. Uh, I'm sorry to bring that. <laughs> it's it, it's okay. I've I've gotten over it. But um, <laughs> you know, yeah, we just didn't have TV growing up, so I I have very little recollection of The Sopranos. I'm kind of the same way. Where I remember it was on the air. I remember people just kind of being blown away with it. I mean, I was pretty young. Wasn't really into good TV or anything like that at that point. So a couple of the the stats with it though. So it was on the air for seven seasons. The sixth season was split into two, which it's it's pretty stupid when they do that, split into two. But 86 episodes, um, so we have a lot, of, a lot of work ahead of us here. Out of that time, how many Emmy nominations do you think it was nominated for, knowing how, how big of a show it was? I'm not really sure what all the Emmy categories are, but in totality, probably over 150. I mean, that might be grossly high. <laughs> so I was going to guess 50. So the Emmy nominations typically are they'll do best drama or best show, best director of an episode. So that's when episodes, multiple episodes from the same series can be nominated, best writing, best. And then they have like four or five, six acting categories for actor, supporting actor, guest actor in a series. I'd like to re-guess. Okay, what's your guess? (laughs) After knowing that information. Okay. uh, After probably, I'd say, yeah, 50 to 75. Drew, you're saying 50? I'm going to stick with 50. Okay. So it was nominated 111 times and it's seven seasons. So Josh, your first guess was pretty good. I mean, now it's like, you'd be saturated with everything else probably that's out there. Then it was just kind of, it was like, what is this? This is amazing. So it was averaging about 16 nominations a year Um, out of those 21 wins. So it was okay. That's pretty good. Uh, I think it probably should have won more. A lot of those were writing nominations. Like sometimes, out of five nominations, the Sopranos would have four of them in a category. It'd just be like Sopranos, like four different episodes, and then The West Wing or whatever the other show was in that year. The seven writing years it could have been nominated for, it won six times. So it didn't win one of the years. It was like a West Wing episode. Did either of you guys watch The West Wing? Yeah, I Not. actually watched it Watched it all the way through and loved it. I, I've, I've seen a decent amount. It's, it's a great show, but... Yeah, I, I binged it uh, in college one year. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, history buff over here. And uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. I mean, it did get a little repetitive, but I was like so close to finishing it. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, 
I'll do it. And uh, I thought it, I thought it was really good and you know pretty informative, albeit from a you know fictional standpoint. But kind of goes does some deep dives into a little bit about the presidency and and what they do. It's great, things like that. So I thought it was cool. Yeah. I'm curious to hear your opinion of that after as you're watching The Sopranos too, because that was one of the biggest contenders against The Sopranos every year. So The Sopranos was just like hyped up for its writing. It won six of the seven years it was eligible to win that category. The cat, the time it didn't win was the West Wing for best drama. So best, pretty much best TV series. It won two out of the seven times. So I think that's way under probably what it should have done, but it was pretty much West Wing that was cleaning those up. Um, I think the practice, which is a random show, which won one year. So it was kind of, it didn't, I don't think it won as many best dramas as it should have. And I, I was thinking of maybe when something is so good, people start to feel that they're too biased towards it. The, the two examples of this I could think of was in the fifties, Marlon Brando was the best actor in the world. He, he kind of changed acting with his method acting, just bringing a real serious to it, which is the acting we see now before that the actors were more, more theater. They had more extreme reactions to things like that. So in the fifties, Marlon Brando was nominated for five Oscars, but he only won one of them. Like he still wasn't like he, he should have cleaned up and probably won all five of those in the fifties. But still, people, I, I think when something is so new and novel, people aren't quite sure to how, how to embrace it. Um, the other example was, I think we, we talked about this before, was, was LeBron James. Like, he's, he's won four MVPs. I think his last one was 2013 or so. But could have easily probably won the last seven years of MVPs, too. But I think when someone wins so much or is so good, you, you start to question, like, oh, Maybe Russell Westbrook, like stealing Stephen Adams rebounds is should win MVP this year or James Harden or, or whatever. So it's just kind of interesting how when something's good or very different, it, it kind of affects things like that. A couple other stats with it. So 111 Emmy nominations, 21 wins, 23 Golden Globe nominations, five wins for that. In 2013, the Writers Guild of America named The Sopranos the best written show of all time. Do you guys have a guess for the second best? I don't know, maybe MASH. MASH was like a wildly successful back in the day. It wasn't really much like a, a drama. Mm-hmm. It was more of a comedy, but... So comedies um, and dramas are included. So don't don't be limited to dramas if, as you guys think about this. Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not friends, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking like, I don't know. I mean, I, I just didn't watch TV. I was... Uh, what were you what were you gonna say were you gonna i was say gonna something? say star trek but I, that is oh. just like it's all a shot in the dark like i have, I yeah. have no idea those are both two pretty good guesses so seinfeld is what they named as the second best written show of all time which i think is awesome it's funny you said friends drew because obviously seinfeld's way better than friends but yeah, i was gonna say you have that on the website right that <laughs> friends is a pastime <laughs> <laughs> i mean friends is still good but you know no, no question. But it's funny they said that too, because I think of, and we'll, we'll talk about this throughout the course of the podcast, but like the characters in Seinfeld are very similar to the characters in The Sopranos, I think, in, in a lot of ways, how just, we'll, we'll get into it, but like the inability to kind of learn, learn from their mistakes too. Um, so I thought that was awesome. That was second. Also, TV Guide and Rolling Stone both rank is The Sopranos as the best series of all time. Countless other lists have it in the top five. So all those accolades, it obviously was something very notable when it came out. Um, I think it's far from perfect, but I love it at this point. I think it's the best of all time. You know, maybe when we go back through it and we start 
tearing it apart. I might think not think that anymore, but I think it's pretty damn close, but we'll find out. I mean, you guys ready to go? I'm, I'm excited to see this through your guys' eyes for the first time. I'm excited as well because, you know, growing up, you always hear your your parents or your dad be like, oh, if, if you like movies, you have to watch this movie. And it's some <laughs> old school movie and, you know, like 12 Angry Men. It's like, yeah, it's a classic movie, but it's black and white. And, you know, things have changed so much. Um, <laughs> Dude, don't get me started on 12 Angry Men. But anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, but nowadays, um, with so much content available at the tip, tips of our fingers, and so much good content, which is kind of like the thesis behind this show that we're trying to do, you know, d- does the Sopranos have staying power? And I know we're going to get into it longer. And But uh, after watching the first episode, you know, something that was produced 20 years ago, uh, something I've never seen, I was pretty blown away. That's awesome. So yeah, let's let's get right into it. What? So initial thoughts, you're, you're blown away, Josh. I just thought, you know, the first show that I really honed in on and started recognizing the directing style um, was really Breaking Bad. And then around that same time, you know, No Country for Old Men. They just had this unique, oh, yeah. unique I, I found it very similar. Don't use much music. It's very much just watching the characters go by. And I thought that was kind of new. And then here with The Sopranos, I, I realized hey, I didn't notice much music being played. Um, it was more focused on the interactions of Tony Soprano and, and kind of what he's going through at this time in his life. Um, and I, would, it just kind of hooked me immediately. Uh, and especially the way they did everything almost through the eyes of a therapist, um, and him thinking back on reflecting and just the way that he would react to the most evil situations, uh, even in episode one, which I'm sure get a lot worse. Uh, you start to, <laughs> he start to see his development of, you know, his morality, what he's made up of. And it was also just highly entertaining. Uh, you know, it's sexy. There's, there's naked girls running around. Uh, there's some violence. Uh, it it kind of touches all, all the emotions. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I thought, you know, it was, it was great. And my, my, my favorite part of it was, uh, when he just hops in, uh, the car of his nephew's <laughs> brand new Lexus. And he's just kind of got a smile on his face as, as he's chasing down this one guy is like, Oh, this, man. Is, this is Grand Theft Auto before Grand Theft Auto. Just, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get into that when he chases down uh, Mahaffey, but that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear you had such a positive takeaway from it. What do you think, Drew? I guess my initial thoughts were just like how contemporary it felt. Um, you know, being so it's it was two, 1999, so 20 years yeah. ago, minus... McAfee is that the character's name minus when he's punching McAfee and they still have the like Bruce Lee punching noises oh yeah you know which I we'll see if those die out throughout the Sopranos but besides that sound it was (laughs) entirely like it's just contemporary and then yeah the whole um spectrum I watched uh um what was that new Daniel Craig mystery um that just came out this year uh, knives out. out. yeah i watched knives out and it kind of reminded me of that where it's just got like like it's funny um the character development's extremely good um this is obviously like more gritty and but just like a full spectrum of of entertainment i, um, I like that yeah i like yeah. that comparison and then and josh said there wasn't too much music and they didn't yeah they didn't have like too much music you know, throughout in the show, but during these different sections, they really had like 
like when he's chasing down McAfee, they have that like acapella song. Yeah. Uh, I love you like, too. Or something. It's like, dun, 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 love you too. And then they have like, like the way that they did put in music was, was really like it, when they go into the strip club, there's that like nineties techno <laughs> when he's, when he's hooking up with his like mistress, there's like the, uh, there's like Latin music. And so, so <laughs> it's just really well thought out and it, and it just, it doesn't feel old minus those punching yeah. noises. Yeah. Ob- obviously it was shot in the nineties, but I mean, it, it feels very, it feels like a modern show with how well it's put together, I think, except the the punches and there's going to be a couple other things probably. Um, I kind of like the punches. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that on, on watch too, but that'll, that'll be in your, your pitfalls section later. Um, so premiere January 99, they shot the pilot in 97. David Chase, who wrote and directed the pilot, was he wrote in TV before, but he really loved movies too. And he was kind of hoping the show wouldn't get picked up so that he could finance the other half of a movie and, and just film the other half. And then it'd be a two hour Sopranos movie, which I'm glad that didn't happen. I really think TV is the right medium for this. What'd you guys think of the intro? Woke up this morning by Alabama three. Since I was going in, uh, not really knowing much about it before I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a little long for an intro. Um, and I don't know if they'll, I don't know if this is one of those shows where they change it throughout the course of the show or they keep it pretty similar, but um, I kind of set the scene, you know, they're in New York city, uh, they're in, you know, upstate New York, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So the kind of captured that and, and, and just, uh, he had this look on his face where you kind of knew that he was a bad guy. You know, you got that feeling that he's up to something. Um, and, and, and what is it? I don't know, but I want to find out. So it, it, it kind of drew me in. So the first time I watched this from the intro to the pilot, I was not that excited about it. I w- it was, I think like 2010, I watched it all the way through the intro. I was like, this is kind of weird. I feel like I could have shot this just driving through the Lincoln tunnel onto the New Jersey turnpike, the pilot. I'll kind of get into some of the things that I wasn't really that into, but now after I think, now that I love it so much and it's just grown on me so much and every piece of it, like from the very first for HBO, you have like the static before the intro, it has like the static HBO screen and then it turns to clear from that. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from that first moment, I'm, I'm like Pavlov's dog. As soon as that happens, I know that Sopranos theme song is, is going to kick in. And I, I love the intro now. And I think, I mean, pilots are traditionally weird. It's really hard to, I think, get things started from the show, to like get it in the vein of the show, get get the tone right, get get all these things right. And I think this pilot does it very well. Some things change. I think it gets much better even after this. But I th- I think it's it's a great start. And I think I forget who said it first, but it's just it's packed with humor. Um, it, it's dark. It's funny. It's 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 all those things. Let's get through kind of the a quick summary of it too. And we'll go through our thoughts on that and everything. And, and we can go from there. Do you guys remember how the first shot that it opens with? Yeah. He's looking at that green <laughs> statue. Um, cool. Right. In the, in the therapist in the therapist. Who, do you know what that, that so, lady was? So describe it. It's yeah, it's a naked statue and you can see Tony's face through the legs of this female <laughs> statue. And that's the first shot in the whole show. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it means. 
people talk about it all over the internet. I think there's a lot of speculations. What do you think it means, Drew? I don't know if it was like some <laughs> Greek mythology, but that's not me. So I think it's simpler <laughs> than that. It's it's mostly I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like some some temptress, you know, but I, I didn't know who the statue was of. It's I don't think it's someone specific. It's like a famous artist that did that type of statue. I th- I think you're right though. It's it's or it's just like Tony's kind of affected by all these female influences in his life, right? It's the therapist, his mother, Carmela, his daughter, just all these things kind of are are pulling him and really <laughs> affecting his actions throughout the whole thing. Josh, did you have any thoughts on it? I was thinking two things. Like one if, you know, when they kind of zoom out and he's just, you kind of know where he, and I knew it was in a waiting room of some sort. And then once you figured out it, it was a therapist's office, he's kind of like thinking, where the fuck am I? What the fuck is this? What am I doing? And it's, just, it's just, this, I, this isn't for me. Like I shouldn't be here. You could tell that he yeah. was there against his will. Um, so that, and then I don't know, it was shown between his legs cause it's giving birth to Tony Soprano. That, I think that's probably pretty close. I, that sounds good to me. He's re, reborn or turning a page here. I'm not sure. Yeah, because that's kind of like the theme of a lot of the episode. And I don't know if this is the right place to say it, but, you know, kind of him being reborn into the mm-hmm. boss. Oh, I like that. Yeah, he's kind of like he's kind of like waking up to his life. And, uh, you know, he talks about the old ways dying. And then I think that's a good segue to talk. So obviously he's in therapy. The therapist, uh, Dr. Melfi, is played by Lorraine Bracco, who plays the wife in Goodfellas, too. So there's a lot of recurring Goodfellas themes throughout. But his first voiceover, when we're kind of we're learning about the day that Tony passed out, he talks about how he feels the best is over. This is, I think, the theme throughout the series, what every man seems to talk about in America all the time. is just like the nostalgia for those times. And I think we all probably feel this to some extent, like, oh, we, we never knew how good we had it. My dad didn't know how good we had it. He, he comments on how his father didn't reach his heights, but people had more loyalty back then and, and this nostalgia. And that's kind of, I guess, seesaw of feelings is kind of what has caused a lot of his depression. I mean, that hasn't changed. That's <laughs> like 20 years ago. It's still still so poignant now. Why do you guys think people feel that way? I think it's just a classic uh, midlife crisis moment. You know, he's got two kids. He's probably 45 50 he, he he's had a touch of mortality he knows he's not going to live forever especially in the business that he's in and it's like did i do enough can i do more and then it's evaluating what's important to him and i think that is just shown throughout you know all the shows and movies that are very popular i mean first things that come to my head are like american beauty um even walter white you know he had a yeah. huge conflict you know he's gonna die and so he took matters into his own hands but i think it's just so relatable to so many people and you know we're too young to get there but i mean maybe when we graduated college there's always that oh fuck like i what am i gonna do <laughs> get a job like in in this economy and you know uh so it's it's always time for reflection and maybe hopefully not for most people maybe a little bit of regret a little bit of i wish i could have done things better and i think that's just so relatable yeah I agree with that. You guys remember where it goes to from the his reflection in the morning, waking up, and then what he does? Is it the ducks? Yeah, he goes to see the ducks. <laughs> Those fucking ducks. <laughs> his daughter's drinking. Uh, his daughter or Meadow and her friend are drinking cranberry juice. Yeah. Just, just like the nineties 
that hasn't changed either. Terrible diet, yeah. <laughs> Such disdain in Carmela's face when she sees him with the ducks out there. This is awesome. And it introduces the other story of obviously Carmela Meadow rift that we see that's going to happen. Meadow wants to go to Aspen, so family issues are coming up. And I think it's Tony comes into the house and then he goes straight to this uh, bird book. He like opens up as Carmela's like talking to him. And then he goes and then he's off to work with Christopher. And then I think this is an interesting shift because Christopher embodies the newer generation here, right? He's Tony's complaining about Christopher's ambition and his work ethic and all these things like that. And it it seems no matter what people are going to complain about about like kids and in the newer generation and things like that. Yeah. It's always like you didn't have it as hard as I did, you know, to, to get started in this business, you know, <laughs> I had to climb my way up and earn my respect. And here you are now driving the boss around and, and you don't even deserve this. Who are you? Why aren't you working harder? <laughs> I remember, I think in school we were talking about in like one of my humanities classes, but we like went through like f- philosopher texts. It was Socrates or something. And they were talking about them complaining about the kids those days, we see it again. It's, you know, Tony complaining about Christopher. And then we get into, you want to tell us about your favorite scene, Josh? Yeah, where he's chasing down the uh, the doctor who owes him owes him the yeah. money. It was the first glimpse of, uh, you know, who he is as a mob boss and what he's got to do to make his business work with zero regard for the public and doesn't even blink thinking that, oh, I'm committing at best a felony here. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> And just has no thought of uh, going to jail. And then he does yell at his nephew, like, why am I doing this? This is your job. And then he he starts teaching him, though, where he goes, oh, you kick him too. Get a couple wax in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so twisted, too. It's like the – Drew, you mentioned the song, too. That stuck out to me because it's very Goodfellas-esque, like this 50s song, I Wonder Why. It's a weird tone, too. You're, it, you can't help but laugh at this. Just kind of this guy's life here. And then my, my favorite part was the end uh, where he goes, oh, it's an HMO. There's care in there. You'll be fine. Like, You're covered. What are you crying about? <laughs> <laughs> well, the way that they segue it, too, is like, uh, you know, he's talking to his therapist. And what's what's the therapist's name again? Dr. Melfi. Yeah, Dr. Melfi. And, and the whole time you're thinking just like, how the fuck is this going to work with, you know, Tony Soprano? talking to this therapist and you know she goes through her spiel of like i if if you say like a murder was to happen and then she's like so what happened and he goes nothing we got coffee yeah <laughs> and the coffee just drops and it's just like it's it's kind of perfect you know it is and then we go we go meet the crew which josh and then drew as you remember too we'll, we'll get to know these guys pretty well but big pussies there polly silvio and for me i think this is a lot of the genius of the pilot is just they're balancing all these different stories at once. Like there's something like seven different stories going on here with like Tony and therapy, money, Mahaffey owes him the sanitation contract the you know, the, the rift at home with Meadow and Carmela. It's just, you don't see those just like layers. It's, it's like a whole life lived in really. Um, So this crew at the pork store, um, they're worried about one of the other construction bids. Christopher says he'll take care of it, which, I was kind of taken out for a second. What did you guys think of? So Christopher's like, all right, I'll handle this, the issue with this contract. And Tony's just like, all right, you got it. Okay. And he's just fine with that. Did you guys buy that? I didn't buy it either. I was like, really? You know, <laughs> but he was like, all right, I guess maybe this is your chance to earn it or something. I think that that might be where Tony's at with just like, 
you know, he's, he's like built this thing up where he's taken his father's business and now it's like his business owns him or something. And he's just like, fuck it. Yeah. Why don't you take care of it? Yeah. Like maybe it wasn't as big of a priority for him. Like, okay, this is his chance to test it out. But I was like, really, Christopher? (laughs) (laughs) And then Silvio, who's played by Steven Van Zandt, which you guys, I don't know if you recognize, he's a member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band in real life. So Silvio comes to tell Tony that someone is going to be whacked in his friend's restaurant too. So this is another story that spawns up. Tony wants to care for his friend because he thinks it's going to affect the business. And Josh, I'm curious too, because I've seen this so many times. Like, I'm curious what if you were, if everything was absorbable on the first watch too. So definitely not. I mean, it was, (laughs) there's just so much, it was information overload. and, And like you said, there's like seven different plots going on and, um, I mean, I tried my best to be paying attention as, as close as I could. And, but this, you kind of get taken with the story, you go on the ride and, and, you know, first time watching, you kind of just want to enjoy it. Um, but also catch up on, on as much as that's going on as possible. Well, I think it works if you don't catch everything too. Like you should just, you should sit down and enjoy it. And I'm curious kind of hear what, what you picked out the most from, from any episode too, but so Tony and Christopher go to see their uncle at Vesuvio, the Italian restaurant. And again, we see kind of what I took the theme from this episode is we see this older generation of gangsters. And I think in the script, because I've read the script a couple of times just because it's a great, it's really a masterclass in formatting multiple stories and things like that. But David Chase describes them as geriatric gangsters wearing cheap cardigans and things like that. And that's, and that's what they are. It's like <laughs> uncle junior's class of these guys were like the first generation Italians, like their parents immigrated probably in old school Godfather days, but now they're just kind of older. Um, and then I thought it was awesome. So Tony's friend is Artie Bucco. His wife is at the restaurant too, Charmaine. She looks at Tony and Christopher and just has such disdain for them. She just like sees them enter and, and just, and just hates them, which is, which is awesome. But this is kind of where we develop that storyline where Tony wants to help his friend who owns the restaurant. He doesn't want his uncle to kill the the other mob guy in the restaurant because he thinks that'll ruin the business. Do you guys think that would, would ruin the business if somebody got whacked in your restaurant? Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to eat in a restaurant <laughs> where someone got murdered. Especially like an Italian <laughs> restaurant with like red sauce. Yeah, <laughs> it's like too close to home. You're like, yeah, ah, totally. I'm really against stereotypes too, but this is this is bad. Uh, <laughs> um, and then I think maybe it, this might be my favorite sequence. Do you guys remember what happens after the restaurant? No, you have to. <laughs> he goes to his mother's house and we meet Livia. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like every line in that is just freaking awesome. Like starting, he knocks on the door. You hear, who is it? He's like, it's me. You just wait a long pause. She's like, Anthony? <laughs> He's like, yes, open up. And it's just like uh, every every line in there. Um, do you yeah, guys like, it's the phone rang. It was after dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did you answer it? No. Yeah, he's like, who was it? <laughs> she doesn't want the CD player. He tells her he's not hungry and she like fixes him food. And it's, I, I don't drive when they're predicting rain, she says. I, I just love that. I thought I thought she was awesome. She pretty much stole the scene for me. Do you guys know anyone like that, by the way? You don't have to use names. Like like a like somebody who's that that irritable and and in every line you can't do anything right. 
Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I got somebody in my life who's like, yeah, that. I won't, and and we I won't name any names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do too. So I I thought it was just like spot on. Uh, I thought it was spot on. It was awesome. Did you guys in that scene? Did you notice uh, everything in the uh, everything in the scene? Even like Tony's clothes was like really pale. The only color of like any significance was the cd player that he brings in her and there's like this bright red on the box oh no no I, well there was a couple uh times where they like yeah show this like crimson or just like very stark red um another time was when they like go into the nursing home and carmella and the lady there's a lady who's like reading to them yeah and I mean, these are just like subtle things, but it's just like a, obviously they want to show, you know, just this old person's house and from going into my grandparents' house, they, they, there were like all these like grandfather clocks, you know, it's just like the strangest, most, I don't know, just mm-hmm. stale environment ever. And they, <laughs> you know, they like purposely dress Tony down. Yeah. Um, and then in the next scene, he's like wearing some more color, but it really just like kind of shows, you know, and then he brings in the red CD player and she just like wants nothing to do with it. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it, it's talked about all over David Chase who created it. Just nothing was an accident. Like he would choose clothes. He would choose the colors, every single song. Like obviously he, he had a picking in too. So um, that's really big to pick up. I, I like that a lot. And I think, as we go through the series, it's good to pick that stuff up. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of, you know, red is just like, it just draws your eye, you know, in a lot. So I'll, I'll, I'll be curious if they, um, if they use it, they also like, like in the scene later when Chris is with that other guy, they have like the, one of the meat like weighing. Oh yeah. You know, that's yeah. like red and it, it's just like, you know, in art and stuff, it just like really pulls your eye into that space. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It's good. Good. We're watching it with you. You have the artist's eye for it for us. That's perfect. From his mom's house, we go to AJ's first birthday party where it's where Tony passes out for the uh, first time. We meet Carmela's spiritual counterpart, Father Phil, which is just an awesome dynamic. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, and then AJ gets a call from Livia, Tony's mom says she's not coming she started crying and he goes so no fucking zd <laughs> which is like yeah what's zd <laughs> what's zd yeah is that a food yeah it's a type of pasta oh okay <laughs> <laughs> google's needy right now without clacking on the keyboard too much um but anyway it's of course tony watches the ducks fly away and he passes out so that's what brings him up to his first pass out and there's one i wrote this down to silvio uh comes up after Tony passes out, like the, the grill blows up a little bit. He just like hurries down there with the fire extinguisher. Which I, thought, <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at that, but I, I noticed that too. I was like, how did he get that so quickly? And you know, what house has an industrial sized fire extinguisher? Yeah. Is it, is it a mob <laughs> family thing or is it just, he just happened to have that, but I love how, how organized he was. And then Tony gets, gets his MRI. He's, he's all scared thinking about, thinking he has a brain tumor or something like that. Carmela shows up and I i mean, I have to s- say this now. I'll talk about the whole series, but just like I love Carmela as a character. She's like the perfect counterpart to Tony and the actress Edie Falco is just amazing in it too. Where I think I, I drew, I think we were talking about this the other day, how like some other wives in these 
anti-hero shows like the Breaking Bad and Mad Men, I feel like aren't quite as fleshed out as Carmela is. And I mean, she carries her weight and is just like, can throw them at, at Tony. In particular, she says the only difference or one of the differences is you're going to hell when you die. And then he's like going to get And then it just goes, <laughs> like, in right? Yeah. She like waves to him. That she like says that and then waves to him, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. She's like having emotional infidelity with her priest. Yeah. Friend, <laughs> just watching DVDs together. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> she's, she's awesome. And then next scene, Christopher makes his bones. So he, we see him doing some Kung Fu and then he kills that guy, the Czechoslovakian <laughs> guy. He, and also side note, he like kept, he kept calling the guy email, which is funny because it was filmed in 1997, which like Christopher probably heard that word email and starts calling him email instead of email, which is a small, subtle distinction. Next scene, Tony tries to convince his uncle Gene to not kill little pussy in Vesuvia restaurant because it will ruin Artie's business. And I think this is awesome. And part of what makes one of the many things that start to make Tony such a good anti-hero, he is doing what is seems right, right? He's like trying to help his friend out here too, but he's going through all these not right means to get there. Yeah. And do we know why at this point, like he just went to school with them, right? When he was younger, because mm-hmm. it, it sounds like um, he's, you know, living a true life, trying to get this restaurant going off the ground. And his, obviously his wife is, has once <laughs> nothing to do with the mob or, or Tony to an extent to where it's almost a dead. Well, we mm-hmm. see it become a detriment, uh, at least in, initially. So, um, yeah, do we know, we don't really know why any more besides that Tony just cares. Yeah. For childhood or, friends. Yeah. Childhood friends. They, I yeah. think they all grew up together. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I think it's smart for the show because it kind of shows Tony's that's like his friend. That's not in the mob. Yeah, it kind of shows his humanity in a way. Totally. Totally. And then uh, Drew's favorite scene, father Phil watching movies with Carmela. Yeah. I mean, it's, and then after that, they're watching the movie together and then they hear something outside and Carmela like runs, you know, and you're like, what's she going to get? Yeah. And then it's just like an AK. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then when she runs out and sees Meadow, it's like like Meadow's not so surprised. So you kind of get a taste of like, okay, mm-hmm. how much do the kids know? Yeah. Family's like in the mob or, you know. Yeah, she wasn't alarmed by the AK-47. Uh, I mean, how fucking traumatizing is that when your mom pulls an AK on you as, you know, what is she like, 13, 14? Yeah, some, 14, 15, I think. Uh, it's a little farcical for me. I was just like... That was like a little too on the nose. The mom going to get an AK-47. It's like... Like there's really, no other gun. Like a handgun. Like yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that was interesting. Backing up, just when they're watching movies, they, they mentioned The Godfather. And then I thought this was a little too on the nose when the priest is like, what does Tony think of Goodfellas? It's like, dude, you are watching a movie with this mob boss's wife and you're just talking, you're like kind of rubbing it in her face. Like we need to reference Goodfellas again. I th- I thought that was that took me out of it the first time I watched the watched the pilot. Yeah, I thought that was a little odd too. You know, it, it's just they didn't need to hammer it in that yeah. hard. Yeah, I guess with that and then the AK, it's just uh... it it was a far school scene for me, and I it loves it's great story moving along. But yeah, the AK and the the Goodfellas a little on the nose for me. Weird tone shift. We catch Tony back uh, back at therapy talking about his feelings, which it's important. He mentions 
Gary Cooper, who Gary Cooper's yeah. famous for a movie called High Noon. Have either of you guys seen that? It's no, uh, I haven't either. It's this awesome western from probably like the fifties, where these four bandits are coming to town, and Gary Cooper's the sheriff, and no one else will help support him against these bandits. They're like, "Oh no, we don't. We don't want. We have other things to do." And, and Gary Cooper still is like, "No, this is my job. I have to do it." So. Tony, Tony admires him for, you know, he was the, the strong silent type like Gary Cooper just did what had to be done. I think probably a lot of more men, but more, a lot of people probably admire that just like, oh, he doesn't complain about anything. Um, didn't have to go to therapy, didn't have to do all this stuff. So I thought that was important. Yeah, it's kind of like the stoic hero. Uh, you didn't need to know what he was thinking or feeling because he was just out there doing his job. Like, like yeah, man exactly. Shoot. One of Tony's greatest lines on the show, he goes, I have half a semester of college, so I understand Freud when he's like getting angry at, <laughs> yeah. at Melfi, which is just just awesome. Like, good thing he didn't live in the internet era where you could look up anything and think you're an expert on it. Like, oh, I know this or whatever. <laughs> Great moment, important moment talking about Gary Cooper. And then we, we go back to Christopher and Big Pussy trying to dispose of this body. Are they trying to throw the body into the <laughs> trash can because they make it about like like literally like three feet off the ground? And you're it needs that, to go like I was the most confused. Yeah, it needs to go yeah, like fifteen to clear the rim. So I was a little confused about yeah, that. Yeah, there was no, there was I, had no yeah, same, I wrote that down. I had the same thought. Just like how that's like a director problem. Like they wrote that and then like the, they got there on set and the director's like, all right, still try to throw it. And it's like, no. Dude, how stupid could these people be that they kind of throw like 200 pounds, 12 feet in the air? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This made it seem like, though, Christopher wasn't supposed to do the whole thing alone. Like, Tony wanted to have Big Pussy there to kill him because Big Pussy's like, you should have waited for me. Um, Tony's going to be upset. But Christopher wanted to be independent and things like that. So that I think that puts a little bit more reasoning to Tony's thought process and letting Christopher do it. Shouldn't be confused with Little Pussy, who's Little Pussy's the character that's going to be whacked in the restaurant. Big Pussy's a different character. One other's oh, and then another part that was too on the nose for me. Christopher tries to quote the Godfather and says, Louis Brassi sleeps with the fishes. And then Big Pussy corrects him to Luca Brassi, which it's like, I get it. This is kind of like the Godfather, but they like keep bringing it up a few too many times for me. And from here, we go to, uh, Sopranos touring the retirement community for uh, for Olivia. And, you know, the era of people wearing suits, like Tony's wearing a suit to that, which people wouldn't wear a suit to these things anymore. Uh, but there's an awesome moment when Olivia's freaking out. She's saying, people come here to die. And then Tony passes out. And Olivia calls for a doctor, like moments after she's like critiquing that there's doctors in this facility. So just like a great, uh, great sequence of events. And so we, because of this, we make it back to therapy. And again, Tony reflects on the greatest generation and, and how they were the toughest and we're kind of losing that now. And he has an awesome line here where he's depressed and he's depressed all because of Rico, which Melfi says, is that your brother? And Rico was the racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act. So it really cracked down on mafia activity. And it kind of shows like how unparalleled, I guess their worlds are, right? Like if they're, they're never going to meet here. What'd you guys think of, and then Tony, this is here where he opens up. He says he's the sad clown laughing on the outside and then crying on the inside. 
yeah, you think he's going to like open up about his feelings or, you know, but then he, what is, what does he like segment that to? Um, well, he, is that where he says like everyone turns to government witnesses? He like yeah, talks about why. Yeah, exactly. Like, you think he's going to like actually open up about his feelings and then he's just like, people don't do their time anymore. You know? Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah no shit. You don't yeah. want to do your time. <laughs> I don't want to go to prison. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so you would rat immediately, Drew, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, most definitely. <laughs> but that theme of, yeah, loyalty is gone. It was mainly just he feels like he's a figurehead of this organization that once held such prestige and, and sway in the community, and and now it's kind of being disrupted by mm-hmm. the youth, and they want to make all these changes and, and don't want to do their time. And, and even if they're asked to make a sacrifice, he's basically like, I'm the leader of this tough organization, but there's no loyalty in it. There's, there's no toughness in it anymore. And it's going to end and die with me. Yeah. I thought, I thought the sad clown was good imagery. Cause I feel like I hear that. Or we hear that a lot with, you know, comedians that are just really depressed people deep down or, or all that. So I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, now, I mean, now I feel like there's a lot more awareness around depression too, but 20 years ago, it's a much different time, I think. Then we go to the Bada Bing for the first time. Uh, a lot of stories going on too. So Hesh, their um, like their older counterpart, and Christopher talking about Mahaffey not having money, um, the HMO guy. And then Hesh also tells Tony get Artie out of town to help save Artie's restaurant Vesuvio. And then so and then here Tony breaks down pretty much his like whole business model. He's like, all right, Mahaffey owes us money, so let's like pressure him to create fake or fake policies or fake MRIs for our, our clinics and things like that. So we can, we can collect on those. So that's pretty much, I think like his whole business model at this point. I mean, Josh, were you still like following through all these stories and things like that? I was following through that one for sure. Uh, and I thought it was interesting, you know, is through his own death in a way or fake death, not fake death, yeah. po- potential death. He comes out with this genius idea that ev- the, everyone was kind of like, whoa, this, had, yeah. this could be big. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, just thought about it. I got this bill that was $2,000. You know, it's a ripoff. Why can't we rip off the people who are ripping us <laughs> off? You know, it's kind of like, I was like, wow, genius came from him suffering. That's awesome. Yeah, you system. see yeah. how his mind works. It's like, oh, this thing happened to me during my day well, and I'm going to try to see how I can use that to my benefit. And I thought it was such a classic case of like the young people thinking the old boss has lost it. And then the old boss just comes up with, <laughs> wait, how does, he, how does he know that? That should have been my idea. And then it makes them question, you know, maybe maybe I, I'm not ready to sit on that throne. Maybe I'm not ready to, to make these decisions. Because, you know, when uh, he's talking about um, who's, uh, is, who's the guy Christopher? who, who whacked. Yeah, his uh, nephew. Yeah. He was talking about, oh, the business is changing, you know. And then he's talking to big puss he's like what if tony had died you know he's oh, kind of already yeah. planting seeds that. that he's already planting seeds like hey tony's not gonna be around forever this this business can probably be changed and um but tony's like i still make the rules i still make the changes i know what's best and it's like well you know what maybe he does it's kind of like a wake-up call for everybody else being like oh he's still kind of got it i i love tony's character too he's like clearly not educated but he his mind works in the way it needs he needs it to which is it's awesome. Here quick, we, we see the rift between Carmela and Meadow. Carmela goes to ex- pretty much explain this thing for the audience, which I got a little irritated about. She goes to Meadow's room and is like, 
every year we dress up and go to the Plaza Hotel. We like get our gloves and it's like Meadow knows this. You don't need to explain it to her. Um, so that was kind of a nudge at the audience there. But important, Carmela tells Meadow, you can't just lie and cheat and break the rules you don't like, which I think Drew was your point was like, you wonder how much Meadow knows about this. And she totally knows. Like when Carmela said that, Meadow rolls her eyes. Like she knows who her parents are. Yeah, kids aren't dumb. They know what's going on. And and uh, she knows she'll be fine and protected. But it's just funny with uh, the mom going through her spiritual reawakening <laughs> with the priest and everything. And it's like, how much of this is she actually believe? Because I know she's benefiting greatly from all this improper money. So, you know, does, does she really want to live a clean life? Probably not. Yeah, if, if the alternative was not having money. Also, shout out to Meadows Computer. That was that threw me back. It was like 1999, like going on the internet. Yeah. You've got mail. <laughs> so jumping through, Tony offers Artie tickets for a cruise to get him out of town. Artie's stoked about that. Um, Tony's obviously thinking Artie will close the restaurant. And then Tony's starting to feel like he's better. He doesn't show up to therapy. Next scene, Charmaine, Artie's wife, tells her that she can't use the tickets from Tony. She's one of the few characters with a moral compass, it seems. And then going, oh, she has a great line. I forget what it is. She's just like, somebody lost their kneecaps for that, those tickets. And then the next scene is Mahaffey like walking on the crutches with like his knee banded up. <laughs> and it's like, oh man. Reiterating the theme of depression, like Mahaffey's depressed like everyone else in, in the whole show. Uh, and he's with Hesh and Big Pussy and they threaten to, they pretty much threaten him to go along with the phony HMO claims. They're trying to be all nice, but in typical mob fashion, they're like, oh, let's go walk out on the rocks here over this waterfall <laughs> and i <laughs> i think he looks up and he sees like the ice cream truck pull away and he's just, yeah and then the little uh, girl on her bike yeah rides past him like society is just appearing <laughs> and then tony's taking prozac while playing golf he's being very sneaky about it and we wrap up a couple or move along a couple of the stories here he learns that the the kolar competitors for the sanitation contract withdrew their bid presumably because someone in their crew, their kid was missing or whatever from Christopher. And then Artie gives the tickets back to Tony. So Artie is not leaving town. Next awesome scene, Melfi can't get a table at the restaurant. And then Tony comes in with his Gumar and gets seated immediately and gets, gets Melfi at the table too. I think her date was, he's like trying to lay into the, ho- or he's at, talking politely to the hostess and then goes back to Melfi. He's like, Oh, I let her have it. Have it. <laughs> I noticed that too. So it's like totally the, you know, emasculation of, of her husband when Tony gives him the table. And then it's like them accepting that gift is like, you know, nothing, there's, there's no free lunch, right? That, that favor is going to be returned somewhere. And, and Tony, like any good mafia boss or really any boss is just going to have a, a long-term memory. So he just kind of locked her in cause he sees her benefit. Oh. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting. Yeah, t- totally. I think, I think you're totally right. I like that. Uh, and then seen with uh, Tony with his Gumar on the boat. And he says, that's JFK's hat, which I didn't really get. Was that, is that actually JFK's hat? Is that a joke I didn't get? I thought he, I thought it was like a legitimately JFK's hat that he probably <laughs> bought at an auction or something. And he's like, yeah. that's a $20,000 hat. <laughs> things, things mob bosses want to buy are just like, all right, JFK's hat, Richard Nixon's golf clubs. Yeah. <laughs> you get to a level of wealth where it's like, not just having a super fancy yacht is good enough to entertain your friends. You have to have a story piece to go along with it. Like JFK's yeah. hat. 
next uh next scene there he's at the re- same restaurant with carmelo which is you know great dichotomy and he opens up to her about uh going to a therapist and one of one of her amazing lines too right before he opens up he's just like what are you doing and she's like getting my wine in position to throw in your damn face <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yes carmelo go ahead and then christopher calls home christopher tells tony that little pussy is back. So little pussy is the one that uncle junior wants to whack in Artie's restaurant. So um, I forget if he was back from jail or away or, or whatever, but he's back. We go to a dorky volleyball scene, which for some reason, I think this, you didn't like the punches drew for some reason, this felt very nineties, just like no one can ever get like a kid's sport game. Right. It looked like it was being played in a, like a New York city basketball court, you know, with like the chain link fences and, we know people intimately who played volleyball and it's like, that is not what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's always a little silly. And then Tony and Silvio discuss what to do for Artie's restaurant. Um, Next scene. I really like the next scene. And that's when Tony's kind of learning about the rift between Meadow and Carmela, and he takes her to the cathedral. And I think this is a great moment to kind of learn about the generational differences of, of immigrants. So Tony's grandfather immigrated from Italy. That's the person who came there. So that means Tony's dad probably spoke a little Italian. That's his uncle junior's generation. Now Tony's second generation, he still kind of feels that culture, but obviously less than his, his father did. And then now his daughter is, is pretty much all American at this point too. Um, she's feeling less and less of that, that Italian culture too. And I don't know that, I kind of, I kind of empathize with that or just thinking about my, my relatives that have immigrated here and kind of seeing how that, how they lost speaking German over like a couple generations and the culture there. And do you guys, uh, I guess when, when did your families immigrate to the United States or do you guys have recollection or any insight of that? Uh, my, uh, my great grandfather came over from Germany and like 1910 so we've had pretty long roots here and i don't and that was from my dad's side and i don't know about my mom i don't know about my mom's side but i'm pretty sure they were in the states for you know at least three or four generations yeah my uh i know my mom's uh great grandma uh they came from italy and but then they didn't want their kids speaking italian they wanted to raise like american kids so they purposely didn't teach him Italian, which I was, I'm kind of pissed about because I'd love to be bilingual. <laughs> so you're probably the most Italian out of the three of us. Yeah, I guess maybe <laughs> like 25%. Something like that. Well, we'll check, check 23 and me. Um, <laughs> uh, so Josh, yeah, I think my, my uh, paternal grandfather's family came around the same time from Germany. And I know my grandfather knew a little German, like his parents immigrated, but he was one of the younger kids. So like he kind of forgot that over time. And then of course my dad knew none. And then now, so my dad is like Tony's generation and now I'm kind of, we're kind of Meadows generation here too. So I I thought that was a cool scene. Um, Wrapping it up, Silvio blows up Vesuvio to solve the little pussy problem. So he (laughs) blows up the restaurant so that Uncle Junior can't whack that guy in the restaurant because there's no restaurant there. Tony in therapy, he learns that talking helps, not the Prozac. The Prozac didn't have enough time to kick into his system. So, And then he elaborates on his dream to Melfi, which he talks about unscrewing his penis and his penis getting 
uh, <laughs> picked up by a seagull, which I mean, we've all had that dream. Let's be honest. <laughs> I thought, I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I thought it was kind of weak at the end that they use a dream to tie his depression to get like Melfi, Melfi asks, Oh, was it a seagull? It was a water bird. What else is a water bird? A duck. You're, you know, sad the ducks left because your family left. I felt like it was just like, all right, is yeah, therapy, is therapy like that? <laughs> it, and I think that's probably one of the few moments, if not the only moment in the show where I was taken out of the therapy because I think it's really, really good throughout the series. And dreams, actually, this show goes into dreams a lot more than other shows, as we'll learn. But this was like, they didn't have their touch yet in this first episode, in my opinion. No, it's too to the point or just like... I don't know. And, and figuring out that sequence of like, oh, it's a water bird. It's just like, yeah, I don't think it gets touched on that in like 10 seconds. Like yeah. <laughs> you learn about your subconscious, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a bit too much. Um, then last, finally, AJ's birthday again. Uh, we see Artie is sad about Vesuvio's. Do you guys think it was the right move to blow up the restaurant? I think it was the only choice he knew how to make. Um, I guess he could have forcibly stopped his uncle from, from doing anything, but he didn't want to cause a rift with his mom. Uh, he still gets some insurance money out of the explosion and, you know, can kind of regroup. And I'd imagine Tony will probably become an investor down the road for another <laughs> restaurant or, or something like that. It just kind of seems like it's set the scene and it's kind of funny. I was like, Hey, cooking's cooking's therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, Artie's upset about Vesuvio. Christopher storms off because he's upset about something. And uh, and then Tony goes and he has this one-on-one with Christopher. He admits, you know, he was wrong. You know, we see him kind of growing in a way, maybe from the therapy or whatever. Um, and then Christopher's like, oh, I could sell my story to Hollywood and things like that, which it's like, dude, that is not what you want to say. <laughs> and then Tony, uh, and then Tony brings up Henry Hill, who's the guy who ratted on his friends in Goodfellas which another another Goodfellas reference. So I was like, all right, again. But anyway, he's just like, straighten him out. Um, great scene as Junior drives Livia, Tony's mom, to the party, and they complain about kids today, which is just like so perfect to be ending this episode like that. Um, every generation is the same. Junior says something must be done about Tony because he's worried Tony's getting his hand in his business. He has an idea that Tony had something to do with the restaurant. So he says this to Olivia and she doesn't say anything. So I feel like the stakes, when I first watched this, I was like, damn, this is, the stakes are really high on this. I'm not sure if how things can escalate from here. Um, I mean, it's pretty much her not speaking up about doing something about her son. Yeah. It, I, I, I thought it was kind of him setting the stage of like, you know, if, uh, if Tony, if something happens, you know, I'm not saying it will, <laughs> you know, who knows? Hypothetical. And he's kind of peeking out the corner of his eye, like, what's her reaction? And she's kind of stoic thinking about it. Yeah. Um, she's definitely letting it sink in, but he, he's kind of like, I don't know, you know, something could happen. Uh, we got to do something. And it's definitely setting the stage. And I don't know, kind of when you're like you're a little kid, you're like, start hinting at things at your mm-hmm. parents that you want. And you just kind of like whittle them down. It almost seems like it's the beginning of that. Yeah, she does think about it too. And it's like, we're not really sure if she thinks she's making the right decision, but it's enough to not do anything there. Like she could have spoken up and she doesn't do anything. 
Yeah, her silence speaks volumes. Or I was thinking, like, was she scared to say something too? But that's a good point like too. That. And I mean, I I kind of forget how this trajectory goes too. So Livia shows up to the party and uh, just belittles Tony immediately. She's like, "You're using mesquite makes the sausage taste peculiar." <laughs> <laughs> and then Tony just like looks at Carmela and says, "Carmela, my mother's here." <laughs> uh good move tony and then and then the first episode ends here let's take our our five minute intermezzo uh where we ask a question unrelated to the sopranos um the question for this week is what is your favorite tv pilot drew you go first you know i gotta i think i gotta say breaking bad uh i i think it's just like it's not as yeah. It's, there's not like the layers to the story, but as far as just like being thrilling and mm-hmm. uh, I really I re- I just remember being so hooked. Um, kind of like when I watched the uh, first episode of Lost, but then that, that show went absolutely nowhere. So <laughs> uh, it was called Lost. Obviously, it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I yeah, Game of Thrones, the first first season, first episode, that's gotta be up there as well. But I'll go with Breaking Bad. For first episode. Okay. I like that. How about yeah, you? Is it bad to name name three episodes in uh my favorite episode, but yeah. No, no, that's that's good. I like the thought process behind it. What about you, Josh? I've I've kind of been thinking about two. Um well, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show uh Friday Night Lights. Yeah. The football series. That first episode, it was, it just stuck out to me because it was one, it really reeled me in and it was like the most well done sports TV show uh, I'd ever watched. I was like, well, this is actually, you know, as, as pretty authentic, you know, I've never, I never played football, but, you know, watch, watch it a ton. Um, so I thought that was just a really well done one. And it was a long episode. I think it was like 45 minutes to an hour long too. So it was able to do a lot of character development and then just emotional pulling at your heartstrings, like all in one episode is crazy. Uh, and then along with you, Drew game of Thrones was really the first one where at the end you're just like, Oh, let's fucking go. <laughs> you know, like I cannot wait for the next episode. And it just, it, and that show, I mean, I'm not Jerry. Did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, I did. And that, that at least for the first, you know, four or five seasons, it was pretty epic. Totally. It, the first season was like that was per that was perfect TV almost. I thought that was so good. I mean, it's it's perfectly off the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stress that enough. It's just like, and then it starts to deviate, and <laughs> they're like, we can handle this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I mean, those those are great ones. I have never watched Friday Night Lights, but definitely hear like really good things about it. Um, Drew, I was actually thinking about breaking bad i don't think it has obviously the layers to a lot of shows it's probably my fourth or fifth favorite tv show ever but i think that the pilot does what it needs to do it introduces you to the world perfectly the tone you know right away where it is like this dark humored show but since you already said that i'm gonna go with Mad Men because i think it does a similar thing to the breaking bad pilot where you you pretty much know exactly what this show is and like it's just like that sense of the office when you first meet Peggy at the office. Um, Don, you think this guy is super suave and smooth and can do everything. And then the episode ends where you finally learn he has a family. And I was like, Oh gosh, I, I have to watch more of this too. So I'll go with Mad Men. 
Um, the Wire is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I think the pilot's good, but it's not when I first watched, it's just, it's not enough to kind of draw me in and, and keep me going for that too. But so Mad Men is what I'm saying. So now I want to get into what I'm calling the uh, Coppola criteria. So based off Francis Ford Coppola, um, who made the Godfather movies, what he did, which I think was really cool when he went to film the Godfather, he broke down each each scene that he was going to shoot. And for each scene, he wrote down a synopsis for the scene. He wrote down the times, like how the times of the 1940s in New York affected it, the tone and imagery, all the things we needed to see. And he wrote down the core, those five words, those few words that really describe the scene. And then he wrote the pitfalls. So those five categories, the pitfalls were where he didn't want to mess up. So what he wrote for that was like, I don't want Italians talking in cliches and things like that, or it'd be a pitfall if we don't get a sense of how powerful the Don is in this. So I thought that was an amazing way to organize his movie, The Godfather, before shooting it. I want to go into what we think the core of the episode is, and then we'll we'll get into the pitfalls. But So the core of this pilot episode, each of us should try to take his artistic license on this but few words to describe what this episode's about so if you want to say three words that are its own thing you can do that if you want to say a sentence you can do that um i'll go first so this episode i think mobster has problems with mom i think that five words to describe it i think that perfectly sums it up and in all his his therapy and things like that um so that's that's what i think the core of the episode was josh you want to go what do you think i was really um I guess my my few sentence would be uh, generational gap exposed through the mafia. You know, it's a, a lot of a lot of words into one, <laughs> but it's just kind of showing like how we discussed. Uh, every generation thinks they're the best, uh, and described through the lens of a mafia family. I think we should use these core like whoever has the best one that should be the title of the episode of the week. <laughs> so we have mobster has problems with mom generational gap exposed through the mafia which is great all right drew yeah i guess i'll say uh mob boss uh has same problems as everyday man you know all his all his issues are basically family work and uh like childhood insecurities mafia mob bosses they're just like us yeah yeah exactly <laughs> mob boss is same as everyday man nice i like that uh yeah i mean those are the things that are stressing him out pretty much more than other things. It's like his mom and his daughter and things like that. Um, so pitfalls. So Francis Ford Coppola used these before he filmed the movie. He was like, all right, I don't want to fall into these cliches or these traps. I want to point out the areas where I we think the writers or the directors or whatever did something. They took a misstep. They shouldn't have gone that route too. So I wrote down what I think. If you guys can think of any at the end, let me know, but I'm curious to know if you guys think that these are, um, if you agree or not with these, with these pitfalls. So first one, are you guys convinced Tony would go to therapy? I think after watching the relationship with his wife and family, uh, I think he's, even though he is like the man, I think he knows to keep, uh, peace at home and keep his family in, in one, he has to appease his wife to a certain extent. So I think it was just a big, long play for him to 
be able to expose to her at that dinner, you know, oh, I'm going to therapy. And then she's like, oh, thank God. Like you're doing this for the family. You're being so strong. I'm proud. I don't know. I think it was maybe like a long con that. Like a strategic mob decision that he's doing that to make things peaceful with his wife. Yeah. I like that. Oh, okay. Drew, are you convinced you'd go to therapy? I, I, I just think that it sounds like he's, it's kind of like a cry for help. I, I think he thinks the whole thing's stupid, but you know, um, his hands, his hands basically forced. It, it must've gotten really bad. Cause he thinks he, like, if anyone finds out about this, he thinks he's dead. Um, like some, no one wants a mob boss to be talking to a therapist. Um, <laughs> so that's, I mean, he's, he's, it's gotten so bad for him that he needs to, he needs to do this. Otherwise who knows? Um, I like both. All right. I'm convinced. So that's not a pitfall. Um, and then I have the Godfather and Goodfellow references were two on the nose. Like Carmel and the priest watching movies, talking about Goodfellas, Christopher saying Louis Brazi instead of Luca Brazi, Tony mentioning Henry Hill from Goodfellas at the end. Also like the song when Tony's chasing Mahaffey is Goodfellas esque. Like I could have used one of these references, but like all of them was, I was, I thought it was too on the nose. I was taken out of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I agree. I don't think it added and and it was almost just filler. It could have been left out. You know, they were just one words here and there. And, you know, it, I don't, it didn't add anything. If anything, it kind of made you one would, one would have been okay. But when it's like three or four and you're starting to notice it, you're like, okay, we get it. Yeah. It's just, this is a mob movie or this is a mob show. <laughs> we get, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like a joke getting explained to you too much. It's like, tell me a little bit. But then when it gets explained, it's not funny anymore. Um, okay. Yeah. Drew, any, anything to add? Oh, man, this is going to be embarrassing, but I haven't seen Goodfellas or The Godfather. <laughs> so so you were like thought, right on. These are I, awesome. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking from the, the stance of like below the average viewer, you know, that's like, yeah, been, been watching like, you know, all the Avengers movies. And then it's like, Oh, my buddy needs to do this, uh, this podcast about the Sopranos and hasn't, hasn't seen any of the classic mob movies. So <laughs> I didn't have a problem with it. Okay. <laughs> all right. We'll split on that. <laughs> um, and then we, we already talked about this. I think we all agreed with it, but using the Tony's dream, uh, about his penis falling off to find out he's depressed about his family leaving, just too many jumps in there. I thought that was a trope. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty weak there. That that's what Melfi used to discover that. I think they could have just used yeah. even left that part out and let the audience. It was pretty blatant. Yeah. Blatant conclusion. Like, oh, okay, the ducks they come. He's talking about how he doesn't have his own crew, and then he's trying to develop these ducks into his family, and then they leave. It's like pretty A B C D. Like I can follow the path, and then uh, he they had to emphasize it, I guess, but. Yeah, I didn't think it was really yeah. necessary either. And maybe, I mean, early on in shows, you get a lot of uh, network or station influence. And they're like, oh, you need to explain this for the audience. So that might have been one of those added in. And then as this, I mean, because Sopranos is known for being much more subtle than that. Like they explain almost nothing. Um, so that might have been that. And as, as the show got more popular, they didn't listen to the network and things like that or HBO after that. Um, but yeah, Pitfall for sure. And then, Carmela goes to get the AK-47. I thought that was, I think we all agreed that was a bit farcical. 
And then she goes when she explains her date to the Plaza Hotel to Meadow. I was just like, okay, you're explaining this for the audience. Um, anything to add to that? You guys agree? You know, I think to the average viewer, I think that's something that you'll pick up on. So it, it didn't bother me as much, but as much as like the AK. I think. Um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with Drew. I mean, it, I think it just emphasized that having a teenage daughter sounds like hell on earth. So. Um, all right. All right. <laughs> Not I mean, ball. just think about like the stuff that your parents say to you over and over too. <laughs> it's just like, like my, dad I know. Me, my dad tells me the same stories like over and over again. And you're just like, yes. So, so, so it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit where, yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with that as much as the, the, um, the therapy. Okay. The therapy. That's, that's fair. I think, I think I, I, I'm thinking about it because so many times movies and TV do that. They just explain something for the audience. But you're right. That one probably, that one probably wasn't just, just for the audience. Parents are like that. Um, cool. So that, that's it for pitfalls. Anything else that bothered you or stuck out or anything like that? Yeah, just, just trying to throw that body <laughs> like through. Oh, yeah, the I, didn't even, did I didn't even write that. Okay. I, I put the, I put the, Lewis Brazi sleeps with the fishes, but the throw the body up. Okay. That could have been a, a, a mistake with, uh, you know, the script and then getting to the, <laughs> getting to the setting. Uh, awesome. Okay. So hall of fame, that's, these are going to be our nominees. So we'll have nominees from each episode of certain categories. And over the course of the season, we're going to find, the best ones too. So I'm curious what you guys want to think. Best death of the season. Pretty easy. Only one body <laughs> count in this. <laughs> so, so far, uh, poor Emil Kolar is leading the, the best death uh, bonus that he like his body couldn't get thrown into the dumpster too. that. That adds to his, <laughs> his tragic demise. Um, and then next category nominees, best one liners, which I'm going to have to be more, uh, more stringent on this in future episodes because literally every almost every line in this was just loaded with it was just great in some way so I'll, I'll try to go through these quick so first one josh i think you said it when tony beats up mahafi for the first time he says what are you crying about hmo you're covered <laughs> <laughs> which is so dark uh and then when he's talking about his uncle junior to Melfi, he said, when I was young, he told my girl cousins, I would never be a varsity athlete. And frankly, yeah. that was a tremendous blow to my <laughs> self-esteem. That was which, a great line. Imagine being 12 or whatever. And I, I uh, man, that would have sucked. <laughs> um, Livia, uh, Tony's mom says, I don't drive when they're predicting rain. <laughs> and then AJ at the party. So Anthony Jr. says, so what? No fucking ZD now. So Drew just learned what ZD was. Yeah, ZD uh, looks very good. I, <laughs> I Google it. Yeah. Uh, Carmela has a great line when Tony's going in to get his MRI. What's different between you and me is you're going to hell when you die. And then she waves to him when he's going to turn the machine. Yeah, is, that's an epic line. That's great, Carmela, at her best. Uh, when Emil joins Christopher at the pork store, Christopher says... I thought the only sausages they had was Italian and Jimmy Dean's. See what you learn when you cross cultures and shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great, Christopher. And then, Josh, you brought up this point when Tony like came up with that novel idea of using the uh, 
like the fake clinics to collect on those. Uh, but Christopher's sad about that. He wants to stay in garbage and he says, garbage is our bread and butter, <laughs> which is like very ironic and silly. Um, Tony's line to Melfi, I have half a semester of college, so I understand Freud. When Tony's about to reveal to Carmela uh, about his psychiatry, he's like, what are you doing? She says, getting my wine in position to throw in your damn face. Great Carmela. And in that scene too, when Carmela's just so pleased he's going to therapy, she said, psychology doesn't address the soul. That's something else, but it's a start. <laughs> just like referring to her, her social or her uh, spiritual counterpart. And my favorite, I think you're using mesquite. That makes the sausage taste peculiar. <laughs> what were you guys, what were you guys favorites? What do you want to move on to next week? You know, mine wasn't even in there. What's, I, uh, I like the no- nothing. We had coffee oh. and then just coffee drops. I thought, I thought that was the best. Uh, and, and I think that's like the best scene. Okay. Uh, we're we're going to get into the best scene in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, you should be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Josh? Yeah, it's probably a tie between the, uh, the HMO line and, uh, I don't, I don't answer the phone after dark. <laughs> oh yeah i didn't i must have not written god there's so many in here it's just like it's so hard to do to just every single line okay on that on that quick funniest moments in the show so i loved when tony had the bird book right after seeing the ducks so he goes into the house checks the bird book and then he's riding with christopher in the morning and he has the bird book in the car (laughs) when tony goes into Vesuvio restaurant for the first time. He presses a finger gun to uncle junior's head and junior spooks. He like gets a little scared. It It's like a very subtle moment, but I was thinking like, that's pretty fucked up to do to somebody to, if you're in the mob to like press a fake finger gun to the back of their head. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other professions where like the equivalent would be like a normal danger of your job to just like rub it in someone's face. Um, the whole first sequence with Livia is, probably my favorite sequence when you know tony knocks on the door she's scared they're predicting rain i don't drive when that happens she doesn't want the radio she doesn't pick up the phone after dark every moment there is great i love when tony passes out the first time next to the grill and the grill bro- blows up and sylvia uses the fire extinguisher on the grill yeah, he's not worried about uh tony's health at all he's just like i gotta put this fire out <laughs> or the safety i don't know i don't know what he was thinking there but it was just it was just kind of dorky uh Christopher does Kung Fu before killing Emil, which is interesting way to get in the, get in the mindset. (laughs) Uh, I loved when Tony passed out in the retire retirement community, right after Olivia says, this is where people go to die. (laughs) Tony passes out and she calls for a doctor. Uh, Another funny moment, Tony telling about his penis falling off and the seagull coming to grab it. And then at the end, I don't know why I thought this was so funny, but when Tony's at the grill, he's talking to like all his like mobster friends. He's just saying talking helps. And they all, there's a moment of like emperor's new clothes where they just all emphatically agree with everything <laughs> he's saying. He's like talking helps. And they're, they're like, absolutely. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then he, and then Tony says, hope comes in many forms. And Silvio's just like, when you're right, you're right. And it's just like, <laughs> like who, who says that hope comes in many forms and then just emphatically agree with him. I just freaking love, uh, so what was the funniest scene for you guys or feel free to nominate any that you had? I got to say the intro, the the first scene with uh, 
his mom. Mm-hmm. That's mine too. Yeah, I still like the car chase scene. I thought that was just a good introduction to to Tony. <laughs> that is like the perfect introduction, and with with the music and everything, you get just the the sense of who he is. All right, and then last category: uh, best scenes and sequences. So have the car chasing with Mahaffey. So that is definitely on there. First interaction with Livia is nominated. When Tony is getting the MRI and we have that interaction with Carmela. Um, that back and forth when Tony gets Melfi the seat at the restaurant. Melfi can't get the table. Tony gets the table and then gets Melfi the seat. I thought, awesome. Um, when Junior and Livia, Tony's mom, are talking about in the car, kids these days, and then Junior mentions something needs to be done about Tony. So those were the nominees I had for best scene or sequence. I'm gonna nominate or I'm gonna nominate that last one I said when Junior and Livia are in the car. I thought it it tied together the episode perfectly. Yeah, and I think it also sets the stage for future episodes. Like, okay, now we know, you know, this is gonna be an ongoing dilemma between the two and a little power power struggle, if you will. Do you nominate that or when Tony is chasing Mahafe? My favorite is probably when Tony's chasing Mahafe, but I mean, for one that puts the show on on a trajectory, I think it would be the latter with the uh, uh, junior talking to his mom in the car. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I got to go with Tony uh, chasing Mahafe. Okay. But I think, yeah, it's like, you know, he's talking about normal family problems and then ending ending the, the episode with that just kind of adds another layer of, of what he's a, a unique situation Tony's Tony Soprano's in. For sure. Last category for our Hall of Fame, grading Tony's decisions. So much of this show is going to center around Tony playing chess with all these people and all these characters in his lives. I want to give us a, a rating on each of these decisions so or a grading scale, so A through F. So um, if we think it's a good decision, bad decision, whatever. So the first one, most probably the biggest decision he had to make was blowing up the restaurant so his uncle didn't whack that guy in the restaurant to ruin his friend's business. What grade do you guys give that? I give it a C. You know, I think it's like, yeah, through the, through the lens of Tony, um, he's trying to do, he's trying to do the right thing, but just, just doesn't, I mean, I, I don't know what I would do if I was in issues in that situation. Right. Which I think should be taken into consideration. Like, was that the best option for him? And that case, yeah. maybe it was better. Um, I don't know. I was thinking if a restaurant blew up, like what Silvio does, what Tony has Silvio do, would you guys still want to go see it? Like, is that much better than having somebody whacked in a restaurant? I think that's a lot better. I think, you know, you see restaurants burn down. Part of me always thinks it's for the insurance money, but if it does reopen up, <laughs> if, it, if it does reopen up, it's like, hey, you know, let's let's go and support this business. I did like eating there. You know, if he, did, if he was starting to draw a following, um, yeah, I think people will come back. So, what what grade do you give that decision to for Tony? With the information I have at hand, yeah. um, I would give it a B. I don't think it was very creative. Um, but at the time, it's like it was also low priority on Tony's list. I mean, I, he did go out of his way to try to make it work. But he's like, well, if he's not going to take the cruise tickets, then uh, let's just at least make sure the, the hit doesn't happen there. So I'll just yeah. blow it up. Yeah, it, it was low priority. And maybe that should be in, taken into consideration too. Like, I don't know if we should, we should, you know, give him a penalty for that or not. But 
I, yeah, I think I'd, I'd give it a B2 as well. Um, I think it was, you know, somewhat creative. What do you think of his decision to use Mahaffey to fake MRIs to earn money? I thought that was a great decision. I thought it was very creative. I thought it was a very 21st century mob move, <laughs> you know, to get out of the the garbage business or whatnot. And I was like, you know, Medicare fraud, HMO fraud, you can make a ton of money and it's pretty low risk. I mean, I'm sure they're going to set it up and I wouldn't even be surprised if they actually start a medical clinic and start making legitimate money down the road. But um, I think it's a, a good transition to something a lot more lucrative than just waste management. While avoiding the drugs, because that's kind of the 21st mob thing is like going into drug trade, which everyone thinks is too dirty. So that's a good point. So what do you what do you give it for grid? I'd go with a, a an A, strong A. Yeah. Drew? Yeah, I'd agree. It's like I kind of like the, uh, you know, ideas do just like pop out of pop out of nowhere. You know, if you're for like the artistic mind or the entrepreneurial mind and you're like, oh, this is like the the mob boss. <laughs> like we'll just fucking just put this guy who's you know healing from his compound fracture in like an even, <laughs> even tougher spot and uh um i liked it yeah i'd give it a strong a as well yeah i i'm with you guys i think it's great i wonder i'm like i wonder about how much they're protecting themselves i'm thinking like oh is there enough things removed from this? And I, I don't remember at all. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go B plus. I think it's really good, but I'm not sure. I was unclear on on how they'd be protecting themselves. Next decision: taking Meadow to the cathedral to patch things up with Carmela. I'll start off. I think that was a. I think that was great. Great dad move. Yeah, I thought I'd, I'd give it an A as well, except. Uh... You know, while he's like talking to her in the cathedral, it's just kind of like the classic dad, like half there. Yeah. Um, where she's it's just like, or like when he opens up the bird book, you know, and it's just <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm there too sometimes where I'm just like so up in the clouds, you know, after work or something. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, imagine being a mob boss. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think, you know, going to the volleyball game, supporting the kid and then (laughs) giving a little of the family history. (laughs) And she's like, there's no way two guys built this cathedral. And he's like, well, yeah, no shit. Two guys didn't do it. You knew how to to make that marble statue. (laughs) He's like, they didn't design it. They, you know, were part of a a crew of laborers. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, you're not getting the point here, but no, yeah, I'd 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 give that one a B. Yeah, smart, <laughs> smart ass teenager remark. Like, no, they didn't. <laughs> God. Um, Tony deciding to put his mom or encourage his mom to go to a retirement community. You know, he feels he has no other options with her, so he's he's pushing her this route. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't know. She seems pretty senile. Like when in the end, when she was. Uh, um, when she's talking to Tony's uncle, I like, maybe this is just uh, naive of me, but I thought I was like, is she even like fucking hearing him? Or is this just like a classic geriatric conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be, it's like one of those things where you're like trying to push your kids into sports or push them in, 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 for their own good. You know, it's like, come on, come on, mom, get some, 
you could use some social interaction or, yeah, you know, so I, I, what else is he supposed to do? She seems pretty depressed at home. Well, what else is he supposed to do? But then her reaction, at least we don't know it quite yet, but it's at least not saying anything when Junior says something has to be done about this. Like she's pissed off with Tony at some extent. Um, yeah. Maybe from the retirement. I just don't. I don't think yeah. he knows the extent at which Junior is being, you know, kind of planning a backstabbing mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, I, I think one thing Tony kind of as was a theme throughout the whole episode kind of holds family in high regard. So um, for someone to murder or do something to their nephew, I don't think at this point Tony thinks that's even a possibility. And let alone his mom allow something like that to happen. True. I give it a. I give it a C plus. It doesn't seem like she was quite ready to go yet. Yeah, I guess I'll give it a C plus as well. Yeah, I'd probably agree. Um, last one, letting Christopher take care of the garbage contract. You know, it worked out. It, it seemed to work out. <laughs> they, they, he, Christopher, you know, killed the guy. The other contractors withdrew their bid. I think it was sketchy making that decision at first, but it, I mean, Tony was lucky, I think. It, it seemed to work out. So I, I'll give it a B. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to see what his intent behind that decision was. Uh, in a way, it was almost like he was hoping that he'd fail. Um, that's kind of what I got initially. Yeah. Um, and then if he if he did fail, he could, you know, either teach him a lesson or just get rid of him. I don't know. At that point, you kind of got this feeling that I'm kind of over you, kid. Like you're not taking this responsibility. You're taking it too lightly. You don't believe in me. You know, now go prove yourself. But I think he's pleasantly surprised in a way. Yeah. I don't know. I'd give it a, I'd give it a B, B grade. Um, I probably would have done something differently, but then again, we don't know what the value of that contract was yeah. to Tony. Um, especially with his future business and especially in MRIs and things. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I, I don't know. Kind of, uh, so Jared, you know, I, I've been a river guide for a long time and it kind of reminds me of like when, uh, like a river guides like training, you know, and it's like, okay, are you ready? And, you know, if, if, if they do a good job, then it's like, oh, that was a great decision. Like, you know, we've trained this person. Now they're now they're good to go. And and, and then on the flip side, if they like flip the boat and just like <laughs> swim a fucking family, then you're like, you know, and this is just like, all right, is Chris ready? But could he be the next person up and, you yeah. know, and so it ends up working out um, at yeah. a certain point, though, you know, Big Puss or one of the other guys is going to have to not be there with him. You know, so it's just like, uh, I'll give it, I'll give it a B minus, but yeah, in, in my experience, there've been times where it's like, this guy is not ready at all. <laughs> and if, <laughs> if they do well, you look good, right? You're just like, well, I knew yeah, you were ready. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, that, that went good. Or, you know, it's like something happened, but you know, and then, and then if it goes horrible, it's just like, what the fuck were you thinking? And <laughs> so. <laughs> Total sink yeah. or swim moment. <laughs> so maybe maybe it was low priority for Tony. So it was it wasn't like he had a bunch of people with him that could drown in in a river. Uh, so maybe <laughs> it was just you know just the the Czechoslovakian competitors or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I think I think we agree on that. So awesome. Anything anything else? Uh, any of the other decisions that are top of mind or anything like that? I didn't feel like there were all too many great decisions uh, in this episode. Um, I mean, I guess one of the major ones, I guess we kind of touched on it, 
earlier was uh, going to therapy. You know, was that a good decision? And so far, so far, it seems like it's working out. Yeah, I guess also the decision to to get in the car to not to, to back up and then get in the driver's seat and run that dude down <laughs> in front of like an entire. Uh, I don't remember Tony quite being in the spotlight uh, that much throughout the show, but um, he's like, I'm going for it. I'm just yeah. going to beat the, beat this guy's compound fracture in front of like an office of people. Oh, man. I'd give, I'd give that decision to see. And then <laughs> his decision to go to therapy, you know, kind of, we'll see if it goes, it, it's the beginning of the end, but, I'd give that decision a, a B. I'd, I'd give it an A, actually. I think it's, uh, I think it's a good choice. I, I like B for that. Because we don't know. We don't know how the mob's going to react, maybe. Or it, he's worried about it. Well, maybe. I don't know. So, Josh, is this the best pilot of all time? Out of everything that I've seen, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you can rate a pilot after just seeing one episode uh, of just seeing the pilot. Um, because when I think of all the other pilots I've watched, it's using the whole show, right? Kind of skews the you look back at it perspective, but um, yeah. If I try to narrow them down and and uh, you know, what's a pilot supposed to do? It's supposed to hook you in and 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 get you ready for the rest of the show, and and based on the the quality uh, and the intrigue and the the multiple plot lines and character development. Uh, yeah, I would uh that's a tough question um and maybe it's just recency bias but yeah i'd probably say it's probably the best one i've seen it's hard yeah it didn't it didn't quite hook me right away when i first watched it i was like i was kind of confused at the tone and things like that i mean now i can look at the whole series and i i it's up there it's it's one of the best ever do you have anything to add drew yeah i don't know it's just it's i think it comes with like your preference of do you want the like layered story um you know the other pilot i was gonna say was breaking bad but that one's just like so to the point it's like yeah it's great for what it is yeah. street teacher you know so it's just it's just your preference but um yeah i think i think it's really up there it's it's kind of ironic that we're trying to this whole this whole podcast is to ask the question you know is there a generational difference between people who like the sopranos like did boomers just love it and now millennials are just so inundated with so much tv and I didn't remember this when I thought of the podcast, but now that's like what the first episode of The Sopranos is pretty much about. It's like, what are the differences between, you know, Greatest Generation and Boomers and Millennials and, and all this stuff too. So I thought that was awesome. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, download the episodes, leave us a comment, tell your friends about it. That's the only way that others are going to help find it. You can find old podcasts as well as some original scripts I've written, posts at jaredbackins.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. Um, you can also reach out with questions or comments on our website or Twitter. Drew, where can we find you? Yeah, you can uh, find me at rivers2seastickers.com. I'm an artist and illustrator. And then uh, on Instagram at rivers2seastickers. Rivers2seastickers. And you did the album art for this series as well, which is awesome. Um, Josh? You have a, uh, a construction contracting business, right? Is that the best place to find you? Or what is the... <laughs> that, that'd be a good place to find me. Uh, I'm also trying to lay low, so don't be looking for me on the internet. Um, I haven't seen The Sopranos, and I don't want that to come back to bite me. 
We don't want someone to at you and tell you the ending of The Sopranos. Yeah, just give this home address for people to leave leave notes on. Spoilers. <laughs> oh God, I'd be so sad. Oh man. Thanks, you guys. We'll we'll see you guys for next episode. I can't wait to chat about that. Yeah, great first great first uh, show, and I'm already looking forward to when I can watch the next one. Probably tonight.